Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. With me on today's show is David D. Ram, co-founder and CEO of Greenlight Guru. David, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Maureen. I don't know how, but somehow I got caught up 30 years in software. In the first four years of my career, I traveled around the world doing manufacturing and distribution. And then in 95, I decided to launch a company and I've been just stuck on the drug of high growth software companies. We've been having a, a lot of fun, learning a lot, making a lot of mistakes and just kind of pushing along as we went. And you're not in Silicon Valley. We are not in the Valley. We are in Indianapolis. Uh, we really like it here. It's a, a little bit different mindset. It's kind of a different culture, I think, than you see on the coast. We've brought people in from the coast, and we've just had a lot of success here. Thank you. So David joins me today to discuss actionable insights on using mindset training to achieve elite performance. He wants to help other business leaders learn the less than conventional methods he's used to achieve incredible results and how they can be replicated in other people's lives. David, first of all, what is mindset training? I'm imagining for a lot of people, this sounds like something a little out there. Maureen, I'm really excited to share this with you and with your listeners. It's, I think it's something that I've just tripped over. You know, we started the company, we had this giant vision to improve the quality of life and change an entire industry. It was a, a really, really big vision. One of the things that an early investor asked me was, what kind of CEO are you? Are you an execution guy? Are you a finance guy? Are you one of these sales-minded CEOs? And I said, no, I think it's energy. I didn't really know what I meant by that when I said it, but I knew we had all these really highly talented people flying around with big dreams, looking to do big things. And Maureen, sometimes they would crash into each other. And I felt like from a leadership perspective, I could help them to really harness that energy and do things that they never thought they could do. Our VP of marketing says that inspiration is the job. So really getting all that talent together the mindset coaching allowed us to really put a lasso around the talent and the way that we use the supercomputer that we've got in our head. Inspiration is the job. So our tagline used to be inspiring leadership innovation. One of my colleagues said, we don't inspire people. We're not supposed to inspire people. And since I'm the one who came up with it, I actually thought we were supposed to inspire people. So say a little bit more about inspiration. Yeah, these businesses, they're about people. And so you're trying to get the best possible people. And then I would say the next two pieces are our motivation and inspiration, and then also training. What can an athlete do with four hours of training a day? They can completely transform their career with that kind of training. Well, we're all athletes in the software game as well. So the training is a big part of it as well as we develop our people. And you know, when the competence creates confidence and you get a little bit of swagger, a little more confidence creates a little more competence. And next thing you know, you've got something really special. We get 200 people on a Zoom call and I look around and I see superheroes. I see Avengers. I see really, really talented people that had a hard time getting in. And once they got in, they really leveraged our mindset coaching, our training, all the programs that we use to try to get them to be best in the world. Now let's go into what is some of this mindset coaching and training. Tell me what it would look like. So I'm a listener who's heard nothing about this. Set the stage. I kind of just believe like what you do is what's important, not what you think. And I ran across a company called Dream Fuel, who does all of our mindset coaching for us. And they started to challenge my beliefs around what this most powerful computer ever invented that sits in your head, started challenging me on what it means in terms of your outcomes. And so our sales team started going through some mindset coaching. So it would be simple things like visualizing positive outcomes, journaling positive outcomes 
breathing techniques. So we would start the day with some Navy SEAL breathing techniques that were designed to take us out of fight or flight and move us into more of a parasympathetic nervous system. Very calm. Your body and your mind operate very well in that state. And a lot of us just fly around our days in a state of fight or flight. You could spend years in fight or flight if you're not careful. And so some of the things that the mindset coach taught our sales team that allowed them to play at a very high level, like you would see in the Navy SEALs. Just before they jump out of the truck and start shooting, they want to be in this state. So we did it with our sales team, and the numbers just skyrocketed. So it was hard for me to ignore. It's hard to ignore the numbers, especially at that time when I was running both the sales team and the company, two very, very high-pressure jobs. And at that point, we really started to lean into it. So your question was, you know, what is it? It's not any one technique. It's a combination of a lot of things, but it's really learning how to use your mind to create positive outcomes. Our mission at Greenlight Guru is to improve the quality of life, so to also improve the quality of your life. From the work I do in resilience training, we talk about five minutes of negative thinking causing six hours of physiological impact. So if I'm driving down the road and I see a mattress or a Christmas tree fall off the truck in front of me, I go into fight and flight and try to decide how to not kill myself or somebody else, <laughs> right? There, there's a lot of stuff that happens in my body at that point, adrenaline, cortisol. We do a mini version of that often when something minor doesn't go right in our day. This idea of the breathing techniques, it's one of the things I teach and I do often is when I start to feel stressed, it's just breathing and recalibrating the parasympathetic nervous system. That's a start, but it doesn't get me back to then on target to deliver the thing I want to deliver. It just stops me from the panic over the tree or the mattress. Sure. I then stop to drive. Yeah, I think any athlete that wants to play at a really high level, they're going to start there. So I would think of it as fight, flight, or flow. Either you're fighting, there's, there's some kind of strain that's coming at you. It could be a tough interval in a workout. It could be a tough moment in a meeting for a, a software athlete. It could be a really tough moment in a meeting. You've got to maintain that composure. So the strain or the stress hits you. And then you've got to make a decision on how you're going to respond to that. If you're going to fight it, you've probably got a lot of adrenaline. And that's not helping because we've got to be very logical. We've got to be very smart. If you're going to flight, if you're going to be in a panic, that's clearly not going to help. So the place where you want to start is in that base state of calm or better yet in a flow state. The types of people who are able to play this way have super high EQ. And I would break EQ down to two parts. It's being able to control your emotions, but then also as a leader, knowing how those emotions impact other people, huge for an executive. If you don't understand how your emotions are impacting other people, you have a giant blind spot. And if you're in fight or flight, you're not going to be able to realize how you're impacting other people. Flow has a technical definition for people who don't know that term. What is flow? I don't know the technical definition, but I would describe it as that state. Surfers talk about flow when they lose track of time and space or an athlete that just can't miss. They're just shooting and they just can't miss. Maybe when you're reading or even being at the movies, I think you could go into a flow state where you're completely focused on one thing. I've heard a, a UFC guy describe it as when your car is skidding off the hill and you are completely focused in that moment on exactly what's going on. You're not looking at the clock over to your right or wondering what's for dinner. Completely focused and present in the moment is what flow state is defined as. And I, I think surfers kind of coined the term or own the term when they're in the tube and the waves are crashing down around them, but they're, they're in the middle of all this intensity, but then also very calm. 
the point for this is then how do you help leaders get into that flow state? One, to know that it exists and that it is a significantly more generative state than our traditional, distracted, normal way of being. Yeah. That the more time we can be in flow, the more effective we'll be as leaders. It's a darn near superhuman state when you're in flow. And plus, it's just it just feels good. I think it's where everybody wants to be. I think a certain amount of effort gets you there. Your question was, how do you train that? That's a big part of what we work on with our, our mindset coaching. And our employees will tell us, this is the best perk I've ever had. This has changed my life. Many, many times we've received the feedback that this mindset coaching has changed my life. It's made me realize that I don't have to be negative. I don't have to accept my circumstances. I don't have to be a victim. What I can do is take control of my emotions and take control of the circumstances and do the absolute best that I can. Another example, too, is people will say, oh, boy, everything's going great. Here comes the bad thing. And what our mindset coach teaches is, no, the better it gets, the better it gets. So we can do a visualization around, hey, as it continues to get better, then it will continue to get better. There's nothing that says that just because things are going great, that something's going to happen. And I actually love that mantra that the better it gets, the better it gets. I had a conversation recently and I was that person who said, you know, it's all great. And then within two minutes, my partner reminded me, you know, two minutes ago, it was all great. Now you're worried about this thing that you think is going to happen. Can't you sit in that place of it's actually just good and stay with that, not with what's going to go wrong next? It takes a tremendous amount of practice, doesn't it? Because for some reason we're wired. I don't know if it's the news or the culture or what brought us to this point, but we're all kind of wired to accept that negativity. But we can learn the better it gets, the better it gets. We can learn to reach the highest energy available to us. That's not always the tip top energy, but there is always a best energy in the situation and we can always attach to that energy. There's been studies done where people walk down the street in a frustrated state and they attract frustrated people. People will shout at them or they walk down the street in a happy state and they'll attract happy people will be attracted to them. So it's our choice. We can choose what we want in our life. It takes muscle. Our mindset coach actually says, think of it like your physique or your fitness. It takes work. The same amount of work that you would put into working out physically, you have to put into working out mentally. Which one's more important? You know, athletes say all the time it's 95% mental, but then they put 99% into the physical training. Then you see these elite football teams, you know, the Alabamas and the Georgias, they hire mindset coaches. They're looking for that edge because everybody is investing in training and schemes and players and making sure they have the best. But what do the best of the best do? They invest in mental coaching, mindset coaching and trying to get that mental edge. And we've done the same thing. And the results have been tremendous in the investment that we've made. I want to go back to something you said earlier that we're taught, and I think our brains are wired, if I understand this properly, to keep us alive. So they will continue to go to the negative thing that could happen so that we prevent it or are prepared to deal with it. So the idea that we can acknowledge our wiring and yet train our brain to do less of that and more of something else is an interesting idea. And I'm curious, are there tactics that have really resonated with you and your team? I'd like to unpack, what is it? Yeah, there's a million of them. I think visualization has been an amazing tactic for our team. Dreamfield does a great job with this. We'll define where it is we wanna go. It could be for a quarter, it could be for a year, it could be for a campaign. 
and we'll bring our teams together and we'll do a guided visualization. How is this going to feel when we get to the end? What are the emotions going to feel like? And then let's just be that now. You hear people like Will Smith talk about when he's going to make a movie, it's already made. He's already decided how the movie's going to go. We just have to get there through time in order to get to the end. We do the same type of technique with visualization. So we'll visualize tremendous success. We've done visualizations with the company as a whole. Getting those emotions right and getting those feelings and energies right starts to move towards the attraction of those things. You start to move in that direction in your life. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that it's just a better ride to grab that high energy and to hold on to that high energy throughout the course of call it that quarter. You have an end in mind. Mm -hmm. And then the visualization actually places the feelings inside of the team. And I would say that intimacy, the way I define intimacy is multiple people have with the same emotion. It's the same feeling between multiple people. So our visualizations can drive that intimacy on the team. And I think you see that on elite teams. And so the hearts are actually aligning, mm -hmm. not just their minds. That's right. Creating a coherence in that way. Yeah. There's even scientific heart coherence that happens during the breathing sessions. So if you put people in the room and you align their cadence in their breathing, they get heart coherence. A lot of this stuff is woo-woo out there, but that's scientific. Walk me through the whole company. How many people is it? Do you do it on Zoom? How do you process what's happening? Is it five minutes or an hour for the company visualization for what we're going to do for the next quarter? Let's say we're doing it with the whole company. So we would have a Zoom session and we would have our, our mindset coach as part of that. Before the session, he would have done interviews to make sure he understands where everybody wants to be. What are the goals? What are the outcomes? And then we'll do a breathing technique. We do a Wim Hof breathing technique, which is 30 deep breaths and then a deep hold. That's with air in and then a hold with air out. And that enters everyone into a parasympathetic nervous condition. Then the visualization starts. And this is where the skill comes in because not everybody can do it. Part of it's tone of voice, part of it's experience, part of it's knowing what to say. Like you would never say something in a visualization like, we don't want to go here. It's always to the positive. Like a golfer, a golfer never wants to say like, don't be right. If a golfer says, don't be right, all he hears is right. And he hits it in the water on the right. With a guided visualization, you're always moving towards where you want to go. Always strong emotions. You know, it'll say something like, and it kind of feels like when Thor's hammer hits the ground and thunder erupts. So you get really strong visuals, really strong emotions that can then be seeded into your subconscious. So you walk through this visualization about how long does that take? A whole company visualization would be more like 10 minutes. And then do people go into breakout groups and discuss it or they just go back to their desks? Each one of our teams also gets mindset coaching. So there'll be a visualization that's done with each team. The OKRs for each team will then roll up into whatever the company's goals are. They'll get their own individual mindset coaching. But in terms of the session, we do a session once a month called the Incredibles. That's an hour and a half session. So it could be in the course of that hour and a half session, we could build and execute a visualization. We've done that before. It's been a few years since we've done that, but we've built and executed a visualization inside of an incredible session. But we'll bring speakers on for that Incredibles, which is really cool. We've brought in military heroes and local community leaders. We've brought in our customers who are also our heroes. They're incredible. And the premise was we believe in doing the incredible. It's, it's incredible, not impossible. And we set really, really big goals. And I think that's part of the reason why we needed this mindset coaching is aiming that high. The distance from where you are to where you want to go, it represents how much confusion or anxiety or disorder or darkness, whatever you want to call it. And so you got to have something to deal with that. 
you can't leave that amount of pressure just sitting there unchecked. We call it fire. So that's the fire. That's the the stress, the intensity, the burn that exists in the company when you're really trying to reach that high, high growth number, you know, increasing your growth at scale is really difficult. There aren't a lot of companies that are doing that. So as we push that hard, we need some ice on the fire. Instead of going out with the sales team and having a bunch of drinks and burning them out, we'll go on, we'll take them to a recovery room and do cryo. You know, this is ice. We'll do cryo. We'll do Normatec, you know, put the boots on. We did a, a mindset visualization while doing Normatec and, and cryo, that kind of thing. So that's the ice that lands on top of all the fire that we build in the company by setting these monstrous goals. What's Normatec? I know what cryo is, but I'm not sure all of our listeners do. Okay. Yeah. Cryotherapy where you get into, I think it's negative 240 degrees for three minutes. It's not nearly as bad as it sounds because we've also done ice baths and ice baths are, that, that's about as bad as it gets. But cryo is pretty bearable. And what it does is it reduces all your inflammation, just makes you feel amazing. There's three hours in the, the cryo chamber. And then Normatec is the boots that you put on that do compression on your legs, improves your blood flow. It's a recovery technique. Some of our team actually have the Normatex that they use at home. But this is, this is recovery. There's a strain phase and there's a recovery phase, and we really want to balance the two. So we're not just burning people out. What we really believe in is developing our people, growing our people, inspiring our people. And that can't happen if everyone's burned out. So mindset is part of the ice that we provide on the fire. Everyone in the company is together doing a visualization for 10 minutes. How do they process it? I have a set of emotions. You may have a very different set of emotions through the same experience. And then we've got, you know, 198 other people or however many who are also having an emotional experience. How is that then harnessed for the team? Part of it is just the, the level of skill in creating the visualization. And ideally, we're getting that intimacy and people are feeling the same emotions. A good example is one team had a bunch of goals right before the end of the year, and they did a visualization that they had their feet up, they were drinking red wine and just watching the fire. The year was over. You know, they had no rush at the end of the year. They weren't trying to rush and, and finish things out over the holidays, but they were, they were done early and feeling good about it. And sure enough, that's exactly how it rolled out. Do they then just go back to their offices or do they create action plans based on this. I realize it's part of it is bringing the unconscious conscious and then taking the conscious and making that unconscious. Is there then an action that results? Each one of the leaders has built out the OKRs and built a strategic plan. And, and we know what the actions look like. And then what we're doing is we're layering emotions on top of those actions. So we know what it's going to feel like when we win. So it's not replacing the traditional business management. No, it's on top of that. So after all the planning, the quarter planning, the annual planning, the campaign planning, after all that's complete, then we'll bring the mindset coach in on top of that to get the emotions right. Got it. That sounds much clearer to me. If I were thinking about I'm a, running a traditional business, I'm going to keep doing all the stuff I do and I'm going to invest, it sounds like not a ton of time, a little bit of time That's right. in mindset coaching. I have a session once a week. Most of our leaders is once every other week, but I have a session once a week. And if you know, for example, last week we did a visualization on a campaign that we want to go a given way. You're priming because I think we're in a tornado. It's never one thing. 
You know, anyone that claims like, if you do this, you'll be successful. But it's a million things that are changing all the time, especially in a high growth company. So you're trying to put your finger on this, but then this thing moves over here. So the mindset coaching is you're just tightening the engine, tightening the engine. And by getting that every week, it really allows you to take control of your emotions and just perform at a much higher level. Do you meditate every day or do something daily to reinforce and let's go back to the gym idea. I can't work out an hour a week and be fit. It's pretty much every day. That's right. And there's just a million different ways you can attack it. There's journaling. There's lots of different breathing techniques. You can do an hour long breathing session. You can do a 10 second breathing session. You can do short, powerful breaths. You can do long, slow breaths. You can do prayer. I consider executive coaching a lot of times as mindset coaching, the traditional mindset coaching that you get, all the nutrition that you do, all the recovery that you do. Ice baths are huge to reset your nervous system. The cryo, I could probably create a list of 50 different ways that you can work on your mindset. And by having that toolbox, you know what to use at a given time. Before I do interviews, I do a little bit of breathing and also a clear intention about the outcome for the interview. But it's a minute. Two minutes. Mm -hmm. Now our listeners can judge. Maybe I should do it longer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you're doing great. But there is a piece of making sure the stress from the day, whether it's I'm going to oversleep and I'm going to miss my plane or whatever it is, that doesn't move into the conversations I'm having. Mm -hmm. It's hard to remember to do it, but once it becomes habit, it it really does, I believe, improve my presence. There's a hygiene to your mindset. It's almost like brushing your teeth. You wouldn't leave the house without brushing your teeth because you've just built a hygiene around that. And when you're in a low energy state, you're running a lot of cortisol, you know that you need to fix that because you're probably going to be snappy. And we just can't afford that. Relationships are everything in our business. There's one thing that I've learned in 30 plus years in software The relationships are number one, these one-on-one relationships that we have. And we simply can't afford to be in a state where we're going to be emotionally combative. It's not constructive. Mm -hmm. So when we're in a bad hygiene state of cortisol, adrenaline, you know, and you're running the wrong neurotransmitters, you feel that and you want to get that corrected. So you fall back into one of the Swiss Army knife techniques. You know, there's something that you can use that will bring you back into more of a calm state. As you train everyone in the company, do they go through something like a boot camp where they learn the tools? It is department specific. So each one of the leaders will put together a plan for how they want to have the mindset training flow. But it it started in sales and everything seemed to be doubling and tripling in terms of the output. So we moved from sales into marketing and we moved to customer success and to software development and product and to executives. It's really reached into every area of the company, operations. HR. We've managed to make this part of our culture. Say more about how it's integrated into the culture, because I think of a lot of companies invest in programs and then they just go away. Mm -hmm. This sounds like you've invested in it and it stayed, which means you're doing more than investing the money. First off, I think it's important that we define what culture is, because if I asked 100 people, I do this a lot, I ask them what a company culture is, you will get 100 different answers. And the one thing that I learned running a lot of these companies is culture is everything. Culture drives results. Culture is not part of what we do, and we don't build culture to get results. We build culture so that we have an amazing place to work. That, that is the aquarium. That is where the fish swim. So the first thing that we had to do is we had to define what a culture is. 
We have a very simple definition of a company culture. And here's what we came up with. The culture is how the work makes you feel. That's it. You can get a hundred different answers. There'll be some version of that. And so you will work how you feel. So the culture is how the work makes you feel, how the company makes you feel, how the job makes you feel, how your team makes you feel. And from a consistency perspective, then we started with a set of mission, vision, values. Those values have not changed since day one. Hmm. And we've always realized that it is about people. We're still a tiny company at 200 people. We're still a very small company. It is about people. What I've tasked myself with is if on Sunday night, you're not just absolutely excited to come to work because of the hard problems we get to work on and the people you get to work with, then I've failed. That's my number one responsibility is that you are just absolutely excited to come to work because of what we're doing here and who you get to do it with. So with that said, then we want to invest in the very best people. And we think we've done an amazing job in the team that we've built here. And then we want them to be very motivated and highly trained. And what we realize in the training side, we've really focused on mindset training. There's lots of training that we do outside of that. But if we can get this thing right, mm-hmm. if we can get our heads right, we can get the way that we're speaking to ourselves right and have a high degree of emotional intelligence. We get out in front of so many of the problems that we normally would have had if we can just get the conversations that we're having with ourselves right. So how do you hire for that? Because my guess is you don't just take people who are not in control of their thinking and try to train them. You bring people in who are already along this path. Yeah, there's a a very high EQ quotient that we're really looking for when we're making a hire. You can be the most talented, highest producer. And if you don't match the criteria that we're looking for from an emotional makeup, then you're just not going to be a good fit in our culture. And early on, we went away from that. We saw it immediately. It would stick out. We would have to make a decision. So we're hiring people who have that very, very high EQ or have the potential to have a high EQ, people that want to be a part of a team. If you're going to ask somebody, how will you fit in the, with the team? I, I won't fit in. I'll, I'll dominate. That's probably not a good fit at our company. We have a core value of fanatical support. And if you can't match our mission, vision, and values, then you're not a good fit in our culture. So I think because of that, because we've learned through the years what is a good fit, we've been able to work with all of our hiring managers and make sure that the team that we're building here is full of people who are not only high performers, but also want to be great teammates. That seems like it makes a huge difference in every aspect of running a company. They'll say, man, it was really smart to build that so you could get all this growth. And I said, no, we just wanted a really great place to work. (laughs) That We started from a very simple place. Like we want a great place to work with great people. There's nothing fancy there. So the aquarium has to be fantastic. Great places to swim. Great problems to solve with, with awesome fish. That's the visual that we use. What it results in then is that culture and how the work makes you feel. You feel great. You do great work. And we've managed to really live our mission to improve the quality of life. And then also to change an entire industry. That's a big, big vision that we've been able to execute on. So how are you changing the industry? I understand now a little bit about internal, the people you hire, the culture you set, the training you provide. How are you changing the industry? You know, you look at the medical device industry as one of the most important industries in the world. It keeps people healthy, improves the quality of their life, can keep people safe. It can be everything from a life support system to a set of artificial intelligence technology that helps kids with cerebral palsy learn how to walk. It could be a tongue depressor, a wheelchair, 
a hospital bed. All these things can be medical devices. It can be a knee, like an implant in your body. And those devices have a, a given quality. And FDA, a number of years ago, came out with an initiative called the Case for Quality. And FDA said, if you invest in quality, it returns. This is not an expense. This is not a checklist activity. Your quality impacts your retention, your brand, your products, your interface with your customers. It interfaces every part of your business. And it's something that I've actually learned about our own business is the most essential element that any company has is the decision they make about the quality of the work that they do. What we've been able to do is to work closely with FDA and to shift the industry away from compliance into a state of quality. One of our salespeople ran the 400 at Notre Dame. Here's a guy who's a darn near Olympic level athlete. And he wiped out on his crutches one day. He had a, a torn Achilles that <laughs> he managed to suffer a torn Achilles in an indoor soccer game, which was tragic. But he wiped out on his crutches and he said, DD, if they would have had green light guru, these crutches would not have slipped like that. And so that's a very simple example. But then you move that forward. You know, we brought in an executive who was 30 plus years at really large medical device companies. And he said, our products were in surgery every four seconds. Now that's just one company. Mm -hmm. There's tens of thousands of medical device companies. So one company's products were in surgery every four seconds. And he said the harm when a medical device malfunctions can be death. And he shared some stories with us about how medical devices can fail. He shared four specific stories. Like one was a software bug where 24 hours of medication was released in 24 minutes because they had a problem with their quality. Oh, goodness. And so he, would, he said, sometimes I would be there with the family when they took their loved one off of life support. And he's crying. Tears are coming down. Our, our team is crying. Tears are coming down. And he said, that would not have happened with your product. Mm. From what I've seen from your product, in 30 plus years in this industry, he said, your product would have prevented these deaths. And that's why I'm here to tell you, this is such a critical part of a medical device company's evolution to move to this state of quality and to embrace quality the way that FDA describes in their case for quality. So we really feel good about that, that this small group of people is having that global impact on medical devices. It's a big vision. You know, when you set out from day one to do that, you can't get the copy on your website, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it can be frustrating when you have these giant dreams. Yeah. And how do you look without sounding like you're delusional? And how do you stay on that dream? You know, like, ah, we can't even get the copy on the website, right? But we're trying to change the world. From a mindset perspective, you're just knocking that off one piece at a time, getting a little bit better, laying one more brick every day, just getting a little bit better, laying another brick, laying another brick. You're not building a wall. You're just laying one brick at a time. So how did, how long have you been doing the mindset coaching? In 2016, I really started to embrace it. I just couldn't ignore it anymore. It's not just what you do. It's also what you think. What you think has a very profound impact on your results. And it's just been an amazing ride for me. I've learned so much about how this computer works. I've learned so much about people and emotions and neurotransmitters and cortisol and adrenaline. It has definitely improved the quality of my life. So I ask a question about meditation. Do you meditate every day? I do. It's not every day, but that is a part of the toolkit is the meditation. And does that for you include visualization? It does. It's hard to think of anything more powerful than visualization. Okay. And I think left unchecked, what most of us do is we have these anxieties. And what we'll do is we'll start to visualize the negative. Mm -hmm. I think that's just natural. Like if you don't do anything else, you start to fear. 
our relationship with fear, I think, defines us. And so you start to visualize what you don't want. And by visualizing what you don't want, you go in that direction. You, you start to head down the direction of the thing that you don't want by continuously visualizing that. We can teach our people quickly to reverse that and to, to run these visualizations towards what they do want. You also mentioned journaling. Do you journal? We do. All of us journal. That's a daily thing. So there's a, an architecture that I use that's a weekly design and then into a daily design. And so you're just basically journaling what the, the way you want the day to roll out. How's the day going to feel? What kind of great things can you do today? And typically you'll see something like, huh, I could actually help this person in this time because I'll be at that place and I'll be able to do this. So from a logistical perspective, it's actually got some practical applications. But then from an emotional and an energy perspective, how do I want this day to feel is a really powerful technique. And then that can snap in with your your weekly design. So daily design, weekly design, those are both journaling activities. It's not about writing. It's not about saying what you want to do. It's about getting the feeling right. It took me a long time to learn that. You don't even need to write a lot. It's just getting the feeling right. And there's something about your subconscious mind when you write it by hand, mm -hmm. your subconscious mind really can't tell the difference if you're writing it as if it's happening. You're advocating writing it by hand, not doing it on your laptop. Yeah, it's helpful. How long do you spend every day doing this? Is it a five minute kind of activity? Yeah, it can be five to 15. And do you do breathing before? Typically do breathing right away in the morning just to try to set the right neurotransmitters. Okay. Try to get up, try to get some kind of workout going. I, there's, there's just no better way to start the day than to get some movement in and then get some breathing in and some journaling. So for you, it's right as you get out of bed. It's not what you do when you get to the office. Right. And I think morning routines are powerful. Morning routines are fun. To create a morning routine, maybe for your listeners, like to design a morning routine for yourself that works for you, for your schedule, for your family, for your situation, something that you love to do. How could there be a more powerful way to start the day than just have a routine of doing things that you love to do? Maybe eating the foods you love to eat or being around the people that you love. That's a really, really powerful. And, and you, you hear about how these mm -hmm. ultra successful people have morning routines. I don't think it's by accident. Mine is getting a cup of coffee, so it's less exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's working for you. <laughs> well, I do, though, in the evening, it doesn't set the intention for the day. And that's really what I'm asking is, should I alter it? It does place me in a different space to go into dream time and use that dream time and also just relax so I'm not taking the troubles of the world into my, my sleep space. Mm -hmm. So that for me has been really important because otherwise I thrash around with these crazy dreams. Yeah, you, you don't need that. So you start the morning with breathing, some exercise, journaling, and then does it carry through the day or are you done? It does carry through the day. If you don't do it, you can tell the difference in the day when you don't do daily design. Okay. You're just kind of making it up as you go, but it's almost like you're just playing through a script if you've done the daily design. And the daily design should be what's the best way that this day could possibly go, and then just go live that. Why not just go live the best way that this day could go for whatever resources you have on that day, whatever people you're going to be around, you know, how can you provide the most energy, the most inspiration, grab the highest possible energy, and do the absolute best that you can? What more could you ask for? What happens when the day goes off the rails? We've all had those days. 
I think they almost all go off the rails, like in a company at our, at our pace. We wake up and we have a great morning, great connect with your kids. And then at, at eight o'clock, the world's going to end. And at 1030, you're on top of the world. And then by noon, you know, we just have so many ups and downs. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason why you need the mindset to stay out of that, that cortisol neurotransmitters. The cortisol is the enemy. Try to get back to calm to get perspective, like, okay, we've seen this. This has happened before. But I think it, what, one of the things I tell the team is when you're going this fast and you're growing this fast, it's like a bus going down a dirt road at 600 miles an hour. You're going to hit some really big bumps and the bus might even flip mm. over, but we got to get out, put the bus back on the wheels and, and keep going down the dirt road 600 miles an hour. It's not the smoothest trip in the world. So we've just come to expect there's going to be a lot of really great things that happen and there's going to be a lot of obstacles and challenges. So let's embrace all of that. You can see the, you can see the need for mindset when we're flipping the bus a few times a day. You have to maintain a positive outlook on how these things are going. And we even do a session every Friday. We do a session with our team where we only talk about what's going right. If you got on the session, you would be like, oh, this is toxic positivity. But the reality is, like, we could talk about all the things that are going wrong. Mm-hmm. There'd be plenty of that to talk about. But let's remind each other of how hard we're working and the kinds of outcomes that we're seeing and the good things that are happening in this company, because it would be very easy to focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things mindset coaching can do is it just turns your perspective towards, do we want to focus on the negative? There's plenty of that in all of our lives, in our personal lives too, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of ways that we could focus on all the things that are going wrong, and we'll get more of that. And then there's plenty of ways that we can focus on all the things that are going right. And then we'll get more of that. It's one of the things that I try to teach the team. Mm-hmm. Whatever you are feeling, you're going to get more of. So go ahead and wake up frustrated. Be frustrated. You're going to get more of that if that's what you want. Be grateful. Wake up grateful. You're going to get more gratitude. I don't know why it works this way, but I can tell you that it does. Whatever you're feeling you're going to get more of that. Hence the need for visualization. Hence the need for breathing. Hence the need for recovery. Whatever you're feeling, and we're we're working on a feeling here with mindset coaching, you're going to get more of that. That's been really powerful. As the day goes wrong, you keep coming back to, this is how I want to feel. What energy do I want to attract? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up for my team as a leader? And this can be in the family too. You know, as a parent, how do I want to show up for my family? How do I want to show up for my team? What kind of energy am I pushing to these people? Years ago, my best friend would ask me every time we talked, what was the best thing that happened in your day? (laughs) And rather than how was the day? And I think typically we're wired to share the worst thing or the funniest thing, which is often the worst thing. Training me to think about the best thing that happened in a day over time changed how I interact with people and how I interact with myself. Now, I believe we're all kind of wired the way we're wired, but there is, to your point, the reason you do mindset training is there are things we are trainable. And for me, it's made a significant impact on focusing on what's working rather than the easy default of this is all the stuff that's not working. Have you noticed that when you focus on that, you get more of it when you're focusing on what's working? I do. And to your point, the feeling. When I talk about what was best in my day, that's a very different feeling experience than when I talk about, you know, the idiot who ran me off the road or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. 
thing that I've experienced. And then that's dangerously connected to the better it gets, the better it gets. So you're focusing on what's going well Mm -hmm. and you're attracting more of that into your life. So the better it gets, the better it gets. You're just climbing the ladder. There's no fallout. There's no place where it has to stop. The more you focus on where you want to go, the better it gets, the better it gets. What's next for you? It's been amazing how we've really lived this mission to improve the quality of life. So investing in the company and really growing the company to impact more lives and to improve the quality of life. And we've got a really cool project that we're working on as well, that we're building a Greenlight Guru Center where we're working with kids in the community and helping them. There's mindset coaching involved in that as well. But it's, uh, it's athletes that we're helping get athletic and academic scholarships. So as a foundation, the, the Progeny Foundation, I started about 12 years ago. And with the Greenlight Guru Center is helping those kids with their mindset coaching, with their nutrition, with their life skills, with their habits, and leaning in in a very significant way and building a facility, doing tutoring, mentoring with the kids, and just giving them all the resources and advantages that nobody thought that they'd ever have to improve the quality of their life. So it's an extension of our mission to improve the quality of life. So as our business continues to thrive, giving back to the community to see the kids in the community thrive as well. Mm -hmm. So how many kids would the center support? We're looking at 10 kids at each grade level. So it would be 110 kids from first grade all the way up through 11th grade. It's not like we're trying to pull in, you know, 10,000 kids. We want to do what we can with those kids and to help those kids to excel both academically and athletically. I love the connection between we're doing good work in the world that pays us and we're giving back using the strengths and tools we already have mm-hmm. to support the community in the way we value. It's such a natural extension of our mission too. Our mission, vision, values, mission, improve the quality of life, vision to be number one in the world. It would be the same thing with the Greenlight Guru Center. We would look to be number one in the world in terms of how we develop kids, how we help kids with their mindset, just nutrition, body language. You can see the electives that they would be able to take at the Guru Center. You know, learn about nutrition, learn about mindset, learn about body language, learn life skills, just simple leadership, things that kids don't learn. There's a, there's a class on investing in crypto hmm. that we've visualized. You know, the kids are super excited. Like even the coaches are like, could I learn how to invest in crypto? There's a, there's a lot of really, really cool initiatives inside the Greenlight Guru Center. Ice baths would be one example because the facility is, is first class. And being able to use ice baths as a both recovery technique, but also a mental toughness technique as well. Yeah, ice bath to me seems like a mental toughness technique. <laughs> it does not at all sound appealing, by the way. I've talked to NFL athletes who said, I've done an ice bath every day for 10 years and it's never gotten easier. (laughs) So imagine if you're, you know, a 14, 15, 16 year old kid having to endure that same type of mental toughness. It definitely creates, they call it callousing of the mind where your mind becomes tough. Mm -hmm. You're able to get through things. You're able to maintain that calm in very intense situations. For me, it was climbing Kilimanjaro, but I didn't, I don't do that every day. I did it once. <laughs> and it just took all of you? Was it something that took all of you? Oh, my goodness. And then some. Our guide 
walked with me and would just pick me up and he'd say three more steps and then I'd fall over and then he'd pick me up four more steps and I'd fall over. I was like a little rag doll by the time we got to the top, but we got to the top and that was part of it. For me, it's been outward bound where I didn't imagine I would be doing creek crossings and, and by the end of the week, just walking for hours in wet shoes and wet clothes and it, it's not the dream vacation with, you know, cute cocktails and things on the beach, but it it did provide a level of mental toughness that went with the physical stuff because you can't just quit in the middle of the Yucatan or the middle of Kilimanjaro. You have to, you don't have to keep going up, but you have to keep going somewhere. You can't just stop on the trail. Now you nailed it. So when you got to the top, this is the whole point. This is it. This is where I believe life starts. You got to the top and I'll bet you, you said to yourself, I can't believe I just did that. Oh my God. You have no idea. I was a kid who didn't do athletics. I, I thought the, you know, the president's physical fitness 300 yard dash was terrible. And now I'm climbing a mountain. It pulled on parts of me that I didn't think existed and certainly didn't think I could activate. And at that moment, when you said, I can't believe I just did that, that's where we believe life starts. And if we don't set big goals, we'll never get that. And so we call that love. It's that passion, that quest, that love, that trying to do something that you're not sure if you can do, it creates all that anxiety or darkness that we talked about because it's scary. So you got to do things like mindset to get through the fear in order to get that feeling where life starts. And that feeling is, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe we just did that. That is the joy and the fire and the passion and the love of life that we try to instill in our kids, in our team, that I try to work with my kids and my family. Like for me, mm -hmm. that's the essence of life. That the essence of life of unlocking that next level where it's, man, I can't believe we just did that. For me, and I assume also for you, once I knew I could do that, what else can I do? We call that the adjacent possible. So you can't go from A to J. You go from A to B and you're like, whoa, C is available. And then you go to C and D is available. Like it's, it's just unlocking adjacent possibles. And when you do one thing, you're like, man, I really think that I can do just about anything. It's something that we work with our kids on. We want them to be really, really good at something so that they believe they could be really, really good at anything. That confidence, you know, sometimes we'll call it swagger in athletics, but just that, that self-confidence, that internal belief, that belief system that says, if I work hard enough, I can do anything. When COVID started, I had an experiment with my kids. This was back, what was it, like March 2020? I said, we're going to be locked up here for a month. Let's do the hardest thing we could possibly think of. So we came up with the Rubik's Cube, which I think if you locked me in a room for 100 years with the Rubik's Cube, I couldn't figure it out. That was my belief. <laughs> but my kids were like, Dad, that's impossible. We'll never be able to do that. So we got online and we found a pattern. There's six steps and it took two, two days to memorize each step. So in 12 days, we could do the cube without looking, without needing any help. And my kids got it down to like a minute 30 and I was still stuck at like two minutes 30. But they were like, wow, if you just find the best practices and work really hard, because it was hard to memorize the steps. But if you just find the best practices 
and work really hard. And we tell them hard work works all the time. There's something magical about hard work. Mm-hmm. Then you can do these things where I didn't think I could do that. That's amazing. And now anytime they run into something hard, I say, huh, it kind of sounds like the Rubik's Cube. Oh, Dad, I got this really hard test. I don't know if I can get through it. Well, it sounds like the Rubik's Cube. What are the best practices? How hard have you been working? We can unlock these things through patterns. What could be cooler than that? Do you run into times where your team says we can't do it or not to you? They say it to each other. I think we all do. Because what we do is we just push it as high as we can until, okay, we can't go any higher. But we try to push it as high as we can before we get something called failure of nerve. If you don't really believe, then you'll sabotage the thing, even if it's subconsciously. Mm. So you have to believe. If you don't believe that you can get there, at some point you'll have failure of nerve. So we can't say we're going to run a a one-minute mile. Like That's not going to happen. The goal setting, I think, is an art, and it defines who you are as a company, as a person, as a family. What are your goals? Where do you want to go? And not setting goals is also another way of setting goals. That, that's, a way to deter, that's a way to self-define. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But wherever you're setting that bar, it determines who you're going to be. Do you set the goals then together with your department chairs? Do you set them and they give input? How does that process work for you? We spend two days every quarter setting the OKR, setting the goals. So each one of the leads will come with their goals. And then we'll, what we'll do is we all understand as executives, we're running the whole company. No one's running an apartment. We're all running the company. So we'll make those goals all dance together mm-hmm. to serve what we want to do as an organization for the quarter. Mm-hmm. And we'll push really hard on that. But we'll spend two days every quarter offsite or lately on Zoom working on those goals. And then do you do visualizations each time with the goals? Yes, they tend to work more in the departments on the visualizations, but every once in a while we'll do a visualization with a bigger group Mm -hmm. or with the whole exec team, for example, right? That would be cross-departmental. Yeah, I would think that as you're setting company goals that the exec team would also want to visualize and come back to that sense of coherence. That's a big piece of the puzzle is is trying to make it all work together. It doesn't matter if, if one department is on fire and the others are not you're still not winning. That's one of the biggest things that we're working on as an executive team is everybody's running the business. You started doing this in 2016. So that's about six years. You've been running software companies or working in the software space for 30. What do you wish you would have known before? I wish from the jump, somebody would have explained to me the emotional skill set that's required to run these small companies. I've been fond of saying this and looking back over 30 years, sometimes these really high growth small companies, you know, small company, less than 500 people, sometimes they feel more like a hard workout than a business, like a traditional, maybe a manufacturing business that's growing five or 10% a year is a completely different animal from a decision-making perspective, from an organizational structure perspective, momentum, pace, energy, balance, mm-hmm. people, the kinds of people who are attracted to this kind of business. It ends up being all these super talented, smart, motivated people flying around and sometimes crashing into each other. And then there's this element of scarcity Mm. in these businesses that are smaller. There's by nature of them, by the nature of these businesses, they are scarce. There's never enough resources in terms of people, process, product, dollars. And you're always trying to do what you can do with what you have. So combine that with all these people flying around that tend to be very motivated, 
very smart, very talented people that are attracted to these high growth companies and combine that with the scarcity. And there's a recipe for really bad mindsets. So providing the ice to match all the fire. I wish someone would have told me from the beginning, just that emotional skill set that's required. It's the most important thing. Thank you. Running my own smaller company, it feels like I'm the one doing a lot of the pushing too often still. Mm -hmm. Lots of fire required. If the fire gets dim, then we don't go so far. And balancing it, right? Too much ice is no good either if everybody's kind of just kicked back and they're comfortable. The ice should only be required if you've created enough discomfort and enough strain and stress and challenge and goal setting to get people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's when the ice comes in to, to really create the calm. But just like I said, where there's no one surefire thing, like just bringing in mindset doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an org that has great EQ. Just setting high goals doesn't mean that you're going to have an org that is striving. It's everything together. On that note, what a great summary that it is the mindset, it's the goals, it's the hard work, it's all of it every day that makes for your ability to change the world in the medical device space and the software space and with the young people that you're helping. Think of the tornado that's swirling around of product, process, people, dollars, revenue, growth rate, retention. HR, the inevitable issues that people are going to have, one-on-one -on -one relationships, giving and receiving feedback, social capital. There's just a swirling storm of leadership challenges and there is no silver bullet. I've been trying to find a silver bullet for 30 years, but what I've realized is it's everything. Everything counts. And when we lean in with mindset and start there, we create an amazing energy. David, how would our listeners learn more about you and more about the mindset coaching? The mindset coaching, I would really recommend the Dream Fuel group. You could Google Dream Fuel out of Indianapolis. They do an amazing job. And I know that they've had similar results with multiple companies. It's not like a Greenlight Guru is, is a one-shot success for them. There's multiple companies that they've coached. And to get in touch with me, you can reach out through LinkedIn, be a good way, or through our website, greenlight.guru. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for engaging with the show and for being the people who are leading during such a challenging time in the world and making an impact every day with the work you do. Please continue to listen, like, and share our content.